I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Transfiguration Sunday um, is a relatively new invention in the Canadian Anglican Church. There used to be a day on the calendar, there still is a day on the calendar, which is the calendar day of transfiguration. Um, but the, 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 uh, the theme was, was shifted into this last Sunday before Lent um, for uh, liturgical reasons. Uh, the, the, and it follows the thinking of uh, St. Origen, who interpreted that transfiguration story as being connected to the resurrection. It was a foretaste or a foreshadowing. And the glory of the transfiguration as a counterpoint with the, or, or, as a counterpoint with the, the glory of the resurrection. And so the liturgical framers, um, post-Vatican II, uh, wanted to make that point that, we, that, that the journey of Lent, as dark as it is, the road to Jerusalem, the road to Calvary, is bracketed at the beginning with this, um, with this vision of glory, which lends context to the pain and the suffering of the way of the cross. And so the way of the cross is not just about pain and suffering, it's pain and suffering with a purpose and toward a vision of glory that was given as a foretaste on the mount. So um, that, 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 that function of the story is, uh, is most usefully placed just prior to Lent here where we are now. And I, I, in my own history, I first heard this interpretation and the, the passage, the gospel passage, first was brought to my attention as a young person at the end of a very intense and wonderful uh, retreat uh, weekend that I had been on, um, where, the, where the, the, the discussion of peak experiences and mountaintop experiences formed the context of the, refle- of the reflections. And uh, so it was apropos of a bunch of people that had come together and were, uh, were really charged up with this fabulous experience of Christian community and prayer and philosophy and theology and personal sharing and love and acceptance. It was a, a very heady tonic. In fact, I would say I was high at the time, um, not on drugs, but on the experience. And that even that language of being high conjures up the, the Transfiguration Mountain. It was a mountaintop peak experience. I was high. And the, the, the message of that sermon, which stayed with me and is relevant to today, is that we can't keep chasing the peak experiences, that they are great, they are a gift from God, they lend character and context for the rest of our Christian journey and our Christian practice, but they are not the point of the Christian practice. And so the message to us, leaving that very wonderful high experience, high time, was we're going to go back to ordinary life now, but carry this with us. In, in that, and let it transform our practice and our experience of ordinary life. Not because we want to get back to it, but because it tells us something about the nature of what it is we are in every day, even in what we call ordinary life. So, um, so that, that it, and it was built on the, uh, the caution against building tents. So we, get, we have these mountaintop experiences, these peak experiences. We, we get Jesus with high and we want to build tents and we want to stay there because, of course, we like being high. We like feeling good. We like that, that sense of spiritual connectedness and connection and, um, and euphoria and whatever else that we might associate with the peak moments of our spiritual life. And uh, instinctively, we flee from pain and we, we are attracted to pleasure 
And so spiritual pleasure becomes one more pleasure to which we become attracted. And one of the dangers in the spiritual life is fleeing from the pain and running towards pleasure without any kind of theological... um, what's the word I'm looking for, Uh, discipline, Um, uh, about understanding what that pain and that pleasure is about because all of it is a part of a mature Christian practice, the pain and the pleasure both. And so in the same way that the liturgical framers want to, uh, to, to qualify Lent by putting the transfiguration at the beginning of it, we need to qualify the transfiguration by remembering that Lent is what follows after it. you, You need both the peaks and the valleys in order for this mysterious process of growing closer to God uh, to bear fruit. Now, the one other sidebar that I need to take is that, you know, I'm very lucky in my spiritual life. I've had a number of peak experiences, of experiences that were transcendent moments, awe-inspiring, the kinds of things where the hair stood up on the back of my neck and I was confronted with a sense of the holy and the profound. And um, not everyone can say that in their spiritual life. Uh, They haven't had things that felt paranormal to them. And so their life they would characterize as a very ordinary, normal, down-to-earth life. And, um, and I, I want to say a few things about that. First, um, to, to ward against one of the traps of discussions of peak experiences, and particularly in that kind of charismatic world that my, you know, I had one foot in as part of that retreat experience, where there's a, there's a status that goes along with having peak experiences and, um, and that status is real, and if, wow, you've had that experience of God, you must be special or blessed in some way. Um, and that, that can lead people to chasing the status and ultimately faking the spiritual experiences in order to get the status. So, again, watch out for that status factor. And secondly, we often draw the, the focus too narrow on what we count as peak experiences. We're looking for things that are breaking the laws of physics or... Um, or are magical in some way. And here I think St. Irenaeus is very, very helpful in his reflections on this gospel story, where he has this uh, wonderful quote, and Irenaeus has great quotes. So I'm going to say it a few times so you can hear what he's driving at. With regard to the transfiguration, what Irenaeus takes away from that is, quote, the glory of God is a live human being and a truly human life is the vision of God. I'm going to say that again because it's pretty dense. The glory of God is a live human being and a truly human life is the vision of God. Now, Irenaeus is talking about Jesus. He is reflecting on the incarnation, how the human and the divine have come together in the historical person, Jesus. And so what is amazing to Irenaeus and to us is that that these things that are supposed, uh, supposedly irreconcilable, the, the flawed, decaying, entropic nature of physical matter and, and human psychology and the perfection of God, the creator of all that is, how could those two things be brought together? Surely they are two different things. Surely a human is nothing like God. And surely God is nothing like a human being. And yet, for Irenaeus, the key message of Christianity is that these two supposedly irreconcilable natures were brought together in one person of Jesus. And that had implications for all of humanity. 
And so that, that notion that the glory of God is a live human being is a direct reference to this passage, where in the live person Jesus, the disciples saw the glory of God, the dazzling whiteness, the, the discussion with Moses and Elijah representing the law and the prophets and Christ as the incarnation, as the culmination of the whole story, that the, the glory was revealed through that physical flesh and blood person of Jesus. But the flip side is what that implies about us, that a truly human life is the vision of God. And so the point that I'm trying to make is to get away from that that narrowing of the lens that happened in the charismatic community of my youth to say that the glory of God is only revealed in the paranormal or supernatural because the glory of God is more often revealed in a truly human life. And, and when I think back about what made that experience a high for me was not so much the paranormal um, hair-raising experiences as it was the, a genuine community that was devoted to the care and acceptance of every person that came through those doors on that weekend. That what was most profoundly transformative was the love that was shown to each and every participant in the program. And for me, changed my life. Um, I had never experienced a love like that before. And at some level, you could say it was a purely human phenomenon. It was a decision to care about a person because they're a child of God, not because they make you feel good. And that principled expression of care is a vision of the glory of God. And so that weekend became for me a vision of the glory of God, a mountaintop experience, a peak experience. And it wasn't so much the supernatural senses of awe and wonder in the prayer services, which did happen for me happily and luckily, as it was a community that had gathered to express the love of God and God's vision for what human community could be like. So if we expand that definition, we start to see that these peak experiences include the very experiences, the very ordinary day-to-day experiences that fuel a church life. The, the friendly interactions uh, in, in, in the pews, uh, the, the, the meeting each other on the street, the friendly phone calls, the how are you doing, oh, you know, uh, we, you just lost somebody, can I bring you a casserole? All those natural human day-to-day expressions of care and compassion just because you're a member of this community and for no other reason. That that too is a, a part, a, a vision of the transcendence of God expressed through this community. I'm winding my way to my real point, and we're getting there. We are in COVID. We are in what's almost been a year of a Lenten journey. And those peak experiences can feel to some of us like they are very, very far away in the past right now. And particularly as I describe those human interactions, that's the very stuff that, we are, we are, that is impaired or denied completely for us in our COVID safety lockdowns. And so it, it highlights that, that interpretation of this passage from St. Origen in that we need to remember that in order to lend, the, 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 uh, 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 lend a nuance to our long Lenten journey of getting through this COVID pandemic. And so we remember the highs and remember that this whole journey is part of the unfolding of God's will, even though we can't see the ending and we don't know what kind of transformation is happening. But the the good news is that 
as we are effectively feeling like we're still a long way through Lent, even though Lent is just around the corner in the liturgical calendar, um, that God may yet be bringing a new creation out of this journey of transformation and suffering that we are in. We can't see the end of it yet, but we can see the past and we can, we can know and trust that God has been with us. We have experienced God's presence among us in supernatural and natural ways and that that uh, gives us hope and perseverance to see this through to the other side when there will again be joy and abundance uh, in God's presence and in the presence of each other. The second point uh, that I really want to make this morning, and I'm, I'm really mindful of our uh, what has now become four funerals in the parish uh, coming up in, um, in the next few weeks, um, and this is true m- more broadly for us as a, as, a, uh, as a global population, there are some people who are not going to see the other side of COVID alive. And... What do we say to those people as we reflect on the glory of the transfiguration leading to the glory of the resurrection? And the most important point that I want to make is that the, while I draw connections and I really am interested in the this-worldly manifestations of God's love as the most practically relevant for us as living Christians, that has to be further qualified by, by remembering what Paul said, that if for this life only we have hoped in Christ, then we are most of all to be pitied. Because our framework is ultimately not of this life. It is a much bigger reality. It is an eternal reality that we are a part of. And so the, the importance of the transfiguration is not only its similarity to the resurrection, but also its difference. The transfiguration is a foretaste. It's not the real thing. It's an image or a vision or a glimpse of the glory that waits, that is only uh, manifested in its fullness in the full presence of God, which is not on this side of the grave. And so for my four friends who have moved on to that next phase, uh, I, I celebrate that movement, even as I mourn their passing, that they are moving into the fullness of glory that we can only see in part as through a mirror darkly on this side of the grave. And so while Paul also talks about the veil that is over our eyes and, and, and unveiling the faces and being able to penetrate through to that eternal glory that is visible, at least in part, through both supernatural and natural interactions here on earth, um, we always do so with, a, with the appreciation that whatever we experience on this side of the grave is going to be only a foretaste at best. So let's not get hooked on the foretastes. Let's not just say, I live for those moments and that foretaste. Let's build our tents. Let's remember that if we build our tents to the, to the vision, then we are selling short the reality that awaits us only at the end of this life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.